Coming up today on The Dwelling Place. So now we're frustrated as believers because, you know, we're praying to a God who can do everything. There's nothing impossible for the Lord. What's impossible for man is possible for God. And when we ask God for certain things, sometimes God doesn't do those things. And Jesus is teaching us, even in his suffering, the attitude we ought to have toward the Father. He said, Father, you can do it all. You can heal that situation. You can do whatever you want to do. But nevertheless, you know, if you don't have a nevertheless in your life as a Christian, you're going to be a frustrated believer. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Dwelling Once again, it's a real pleasure to have you with us as we bring you another edition of The Dwelling Place with Pastor Al Pittman. Al is the senior pastor at Calvary Worship Center in Colorado Springs. If you're like most of us, there were certain things you wanted to do when you were a teenager that your parents didn't allow you to do. Something like not letting you stay out past midnight or not being able to go to a certain party. Generally, they had your best interest at heart. There are also some things that our Heavenly Father says we are to avoid, and for our own good, I might add. That's the subject of today's study in James chapter 4. If we want to walk in the Spirit, there are things we definitely need to avoid. Here's Pastor Al with today's message. James chapter 4, we'll be looking at verses 1 to 10 today. I've entitled this message, Meet the Have-Nots. Say, who are the (laughs) have-nots? Well, James addresses here within our text what I call the have-nots, believers. This is a message to the church. He's writing to believers. And there were some have-nots in the church. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. And when you ask, you ask amiss. We'll get into that. We'll break that down. But I call them the have-nots. They're believers who have forfeited uh, and abandoned uh, their relationship with the Lord, uh, forfeited it, Um, for sensuality and for compromise in an attempt to, I should add, to acquire the abundant life and using carnal means and motives uh, somehow to enjoy or experience happiness in, in life. And James addresses that here within our text. And I believe it's an important message for us today because it goes to the core of why so many believers live many times a frustrated Christian life. It's a conflict of our wants uh, versus God's will. And James challenges the church here to stop depending on ourselves and to really pursue the heart of God. The, the Bible says that, that in his presence is the fullness of joy. Amen. And Psalm 1611, and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And we read that and we quote those scriptures, but do we really believe them? And sometimes there's that conflict that we all go through where our wants is in conflict with God's will. And so James is addressing that issue here, and I call them uh, these people that he points out the characteristics of these have-nots. I call them have-nots, and he gives us uh, five or or, or actually four characteristics of the have-nots within our text, and I want to go through those, but he doesn't leave us hanging he also gives us the antidote, uh, what the way we ought to uh, be, uh, pursue the Lord uh, in our relationship with the Lord. So uh, let's dive right into it. The first characteristic that James talks about here in relationship to the have-nots is that the have-nots are always found fighting among themselves. Have-nots war and fight. 
Again, keep, the, keep in mind the context. He's writing to believers. And, you know, nothing much has changed. Amen? There's a lot of fighting among ourselves, even in the church today. And why is there wars and why is there fights going on and all? And it's because of our own desires. James says here in verse 1, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. He's again speaking to believers. He says these, these fights, these wars come from your members. You could say even from the membership sometimes. But from your members, he's speaking there specifically about uh, our flesh, the desires we have in our flesh for things and, and for power and all of these things. And we begin to fight in war among ourselves. And, and that's what we have when our pleasures and our wants and our will is exalted above the will of God. It always produces fights and wars and division within the church. As believers... The epicenter for our pleasure. I know this is a radical statement I'm going to make, but it's true. The epicenter for our pleasure must be our Father's will. Now, I say it's radical because that is not what you hear taught many times in the church. Because the church, we have a consumer Christianity mentality today. What has God done for me lately? But the epicenter of our pleasure, our, our happiness, our joy, rather, should be our Father's will. Jesus prayed on the night that he was betrayed, on the night before he went to the cross. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating great drops of blood. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Now, in that prayer, we read that and we go, wow, that's, that's, that's awesome, but break it down. He said, Father, he said, you know, all things are possible for you. Father, you can do anything but fail. You can do anything. All things are possible to you, Father. And herein is where we sometimes get frustrated as believers. Now, Pastor, you just said God can do anything, and I asked God to do this one thing, and God hasn't done anything. So now we're frustrated as believers because, you know, we're praying to a God who can do everything. There's nothing impossible for the Lord. What's impossible for man is possible for God. And when we ask God for certain things, sometimes God doesn't do those things. And Jesus is teaching us, even in his suffering, the attitude we ought to have toward the Father. He said, Father, you can do it all. You, you, can, you can heal that situation. You can do whatever you want to do. But nevertheless... You know, if you don't have a nevertheless in your life as a Christian, you're going to be a frustrated believer. <laughs> nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. I know you can fix it. I know you can just speak the word. I know you could bring, drop money out of heaven. Wake up next day in your whole backyard, got none but money down there, uh, you know, on the ground. I know you can do all these things, but Father, if you don't do it, I still trust in your will. I still trust in your plan. That's true faith. That's discipleship. That's not consumer Christianity. And it's radical and it's offensive to people because we don't understand really the heart of God. Jesus prayed in John chapter 4, verse 34, my food, my meat, the old King James says, my pleasure 
is to do my father's will. Can we say that? What gets me out of bed in the morning, what motivates me to be in your word, to seek the Lord, is to do his will, to be in his will. My food, my pleasure. It doesn't matter where I am. It doesn't matter what job I have or what part of the country I live in or the house I live in or anything else. Am I in the Father's will? That's the question. And if I'm in the Father's will, let the good times roll. That's my pleasure. Is it ours? If we're all honest, there are times in our lives when we, it was not. And because we didn't get what we wanted from God, we pout. And you know what? I, I won't go to church this Sunday. See how God likes that? <laughs> oh, I'll go to church, but then I'll get up and walk out. Amen? Mad at God. Pouting. Because it's more about my wants than it is about his will. You see, it all boils down to the pleasure principle. Janet Jackson, 1987. <laughs> Some of you remember the song? Hey, man, who remember the song? You remember? Yeah. You heathens. Anyway. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Song called The Pleasure Principle. And it all boils down to the pleasure principle. The reason I say that is what is the principal motive for our pleasure? Is it our flesh? Where is it his will? The have-nots war and fight because the focus of their pleasure is this world and not his presence. Are you among the have-nots? I pray that you're not. Amen. Here's the second characteristic that James points out here. He really gets all up in our business. He said the have-nots do not ask. The latter part of verse 2, he says, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You do not ask. And why do they not ask? <laughs> For two primary reasons. There are many of them, but here are two primary reasons, I believe. Number one is because they're convinced they know better than God. Why do I need to ask God? Here's a person, the believer. Again, the context is he's writing to believers who believes that they know better than God. And so I don't need to go ask God. They're kind of the captain of their own ship. They're, they're leading, living life by their own wisdom, which is always a mistake. And Proverbs warns us against that. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 7 says, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Be fear of the Lord, depart from evil. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is really understanding. It's amazing how the knowledge of God kind of prioritizes things in your life and gives you wisdom. Where when I'm living by my own pers perspective and my own wisdom, how many times it can lead me astray. The Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is destruction. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, depart from evil. So they, they, they think they know better than God. That's why they don't ask. He says, you do not ask because they think they, they, they know more or better than God. The second reason they do not ask is they don't like to wait on God. Pastor Al will be back in a moment with the conclusion of today's message in James chapter 4. Pastor Al rarely speaks about financial matters when it comes to the dwelling place. But the reality is we need your support to continue sharing these broadcasts with the millions of people who need to hear the truth of God's love and grace. Now, I'm not just referring to financial support. Praying for us is another way, and perhaps the most important way. 
You can also bless us by telling a friend about The Dwelling Place and inviting them to listen. Now with the conclusion of today's message, titled, Meet the Have-Nots, here's our teacher, Pastor Al Pittman. You know, when you're following the Lord, you have to follow the Lord. As if we're followers of Jesus Christ. When you're following the Lord, guess what? I'm following the Lord. He's not following me around, you know, cleaning up my messes and stuff. No, I'm supposed to be following him. And if I'm following him, I need to wait on him. Wait on the Lord. Now, this is, this is a tough one for me. I'm just in full disclosure. I hate to wait. I hate waiting. Anybody like me? You kind of, I don't want to feel alone this morning. Amen. <laughs> I hate waiting. My wife will tell you, I have a real problem with waiting. But, you know, I should have took the hint when I got married. Amen. I was standing at the altar waiting for her, and now I'm waiting for her all the time. Amen. I mean, that's, that's, that's the hint. All you guys got married. Amen. You're standing there waiting for your wife. Boy, just waiting. You know, you didn't know you'd be doing the rest of your life. Amen. And you're supposed to. You're supposed to serve your wife. You're supposed to wait on her. Amen. But, you know, I, I, I'm so bad at it. I, mean, I feel like when my wife and I go, we go shopping or something, we go to the mall. It's like when I pull up in the, drive, in the, in the parking space, you know, I, I'm one of these guys. It's like, I, you know, I got it all down. I pull up, throw it in gear, you know, turn the key out. I got the door open while I'm turning the key off as I'm stepping out of the car, you see. And I look over at my wife. You know how you ladies are. You got to grab your purse. You got to look in the mirror. You got to do this. You got to do that. And then, you, and I'm standing outside the car, you know, waiting. Is that right, honey? Yeah, she's right. And I'm like, what's wrong with you so frustrated? Because I think as I'm pulling into the parking space, she ought to have one leg outside the car already. So when I throw it in park, she jumps out with her purse and everything ready to roll. Amen? Because we're not shopping. We're on a mission. (laughs) That's bad. I know it's bad. I'm just saying. But the Bible says you better learn to wait. Amen? You better learn to wait. (laughs) Psalm 27, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Wow. When we reject God's counsel and we don't wait, you know what we start to do? We start to manipulate and we start to do things by force. That's why James says in verse 2, they murder and covet and cannot obtain. We see that in the world. It ought not to be that way in the church. And the murder, we know Jesus said, you know, to speak evil of your brother is to murder. So we murder each other with our words and we covet what other people have. Even pastors sometimes, you know, your church is bigger than my church. You know, where are they going down there? They must be selling crack down there. That's why they're, they're going, you know, stuff like that. Covetousness, you know. Because we're living by our own wisdom rather than waiting on the Lord, living by the the wisdom of God's word so we can have what we want. But God knows what we really need. Right now, this morning, I know some of you may be struggling with, you know, the Lord's not here or he's this and that. Uh, You know, God hasn't heard me or whatever. No, he knows what you need. He knows our needs, the Bible says, before we even ask. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19 and 20. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus now to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. God will supply all my needs, Pastor, according to his riches in Christ Jesus. I know Jesus is rich, you know. 
How come he hadn't done this? He will supply your needs and not your greeds. See, that's where the frustration comes in. And God knows the difference. We don't. <laughs> you see there? Amen. Oh, don't get quiet on me, but it's true. <laughs> a lot of things that I was frustrated with God about because it was, it was out of greed. It was out of, you know, it wasn't out of need. It was, it was because I was asking amiss, which comes to the third characteristic of the have-nots. The have-nots ask. But when they do ask, James says, when you do ask, I'm sure there are people in the church complaining to James, well, we've been asking and God hasn't done anything. He said, yeah, but when you do ask, you ask amiss. What does that mean? Well, let's read here verse 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. And then he gets all up in their grill, right? He says, you guys are adulterers and adulteresses. Woo. Because you're having an affair with the world. And he says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself the enemy of God. Or do you think that scripture says in vain, you think God's just blowing smoke? When he says the spirit of God who dwells in us yearns jealously. Amen. To ask amiss is to ask with worthless or depraved motives. To spend it on our lusts, it means to consume or to waste it on our pleasures. It's all about me. It's the worship of self. That word pleasures, the Greek word for pleasures is hedone. And it, it, it's where, it means sensual delight. It's where we get the word hedonism, which means the pursuit of pleasure or, or self-indulgence. That's exactly where the world is. That's why he says you're adulterers and adulteresses, man. You're practicing hedonism because it's all about spending it on your lust. It's nothing, has nothing to do with what, what pleases God. And so James here reveals the reason why uh, their prayers are not being answered. Now, before you assign that to your prayer life and say, oh, that's why God's not answering my prayers. I'm just a, you know, a worthless heathen, you know, hedonist, hedonist or whatever. No, that, that's not what he's saying here because sometimes... The reason God's not answering our prayer is because of the timing. Again, wait on the Lord. Other times, it's because God has a better plan. You submitted your plan, God goes, oh, that's pretty nice. But I ain't going to do that. I'm going to do it like this. And that's where we have to trust him. That's where the nevertheless has to come in to play. I will trust you, Lord. But here, in context, he's talking to believers who James knows. He said, this is the reason why your prayers are not being answered, man, because you ask amiss with worthless and depraved motives. Hey, many believers, again, lead frustrating prayer lives because of this very fact. And I think it's because we have forgotten, really, uh, the purpose for prayer. Why do we pray? The Bible says God knows what we need even before we ask, and then somebody may reason and go, well, then why should we ask? I mean, why doesn't God you know, just go to God and say, here I am, just give it to me? Why do I need to ask God for it? Now, I've always used the illustration God gave me many years ago of that of a parent and a child. Why do you want your kids to ask, can you have a cookie? Why do you want your kids to ask if they can go outside and play? Because of relationship. Now, if they say, Mom, could I have a cookie? You say, no. The kid says, ah, oh, you hate my guts. You know, 
Sometimes they act that way, but you know. But you, you, you want them to ask because you want them to demonstrate that they trust your judgment. And they want to have a relationship with you. So they ask. I mean, you know, you don't want your kids walking around the house and never ask you anything because they, because what does that demonstrate? They don't trust you. Your teenager going, you know, walking past you with the car keys. Where are you going? Out. Well, when are you coming back? When I get back. Because I don't trust you. No, you want, them, you want to have a relationship with them. You want them to say, hey, Dad, can I go? Can I have the car keys or whatever? That, you know what I'm saying? God's no different. He's a heavenly father. He wants a relationship with us. So why do we pray? When he knows ahead of time what the answer is going to be is for relationship with us. And it's a relationship of trust. So, Daddy, can I do this? Uh, yeah. Doors start to open. You go, wow, man, God answered prayer. Daddy, can I do this? No. He's still God. And he still loves you. Amen? But a lot of times we think prayer is for me to get. And I hate it when I hear preachers teaching this way. I mean, it's just me. Prayer is a means by you to get what you want from God. It is not. Prayer is so that I can align my heart with his will. Amen? That's what prayer is. It's, it's communion with God, finding my pleasure and his will, not my wants. So Philippians tells us, Paul writing to the church of Philippi, he said, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do what you want. That is the way it is read in churches, a lot of churches today. God's going to help you fulfill all your dreams and your desires. Does he care about my dreams and desires? Yes, he does. Does he care about my cares? Yes, he does. But nevertheless, thy will be done. And what happens when my dreams and desires don't happen? Then we're frustrated because we've missed the whole point. It's about his will. It's about fellowship with him. No, he works in me to will and to do of his good pleasure. Because we exist for his glory. I know it's radical. I know it doesn't sell books. It don't pack them in. But it's the truth. You're tuned in to The Dwelling Place with pastor and author Al Pittman, senior pastor at Calvary Worship Center in Colorado Springs, Colorado. If you enjoy Pastor Al's teaching ministry, we have some good news for you. You can download our current series in the book of Acts and an archive of past messages with a simple mouse click at cwccs.org. Just click the Messages tab at the top of the page. And be sure to download the Calvary Worship Center app for your device and take Pastor Al wherever you go. The Dwelling Place is also available at oneplace.com. And I would also like to ask you to take a few moments today to send Pastor Al an email and let him know that you enjoy The Dwelling Place on this station. You can also share a prayer request with us. Just send an email to amen at cwccs.org. Did you know that The Dwelling Place is a listener-supported ministry? We count on your support to keep this radio ministry going and growing. You can support this program with a one-time gift or become a monthly supporter. If you'd like to join our support team, you can do so at our website, cwccs.org, or by texting the word GIVE to 719-354-2778. 
If you live in the Colorado Springs area and are looking for a church home, or you'll be visiting the area in the future, we invite you to come join us for worship here at Calvary Worship Center. You'll find directions and more information at cwccs.org. And no matter where you are, you can watch our services via live streaming right there at our website. You'll find directions and service times for both locations at cwccs.org. Have a wonderful day in the Lord, and join us next time for another study in the Book of Acts. The Dwelling Place with Pastor Al Pittman is presented by Calvary Worship Center in Colorado Springs, Colorado.